welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. My name is Justin Chappell, and my new cookbook is called Just Cook It. So you graduated from the French Culinary Institute. Then you went on to become the deputy test kitchen editor at Food & Wine magazine, in addition to being the host of Mad Genius Tips, your James Beard-nominated video series. What does a deputy test kitchen editor do? That sounds so official. (laughs) And believe it or not, it's actually a little more official because I was recently promoted to uh, culinary director of Food & Wine. Oh, well, look at that. (laughs) And, you know, basically what it means is I get to cook and I get to eat all the time. Um, But most importantly, I get to develop uh, recipes and food content for um, everyday people, which is really what I love about my job. So basically the home cook, me. Yeah, exactly. So a lot, basically what I do is, you know, so I've been at Food and Wine for over eight years. And in that time, I've had various roles, but... um, the, the thing that I like to say as my favorite part of my job is I basically translate difficult recipes for the home cook. So I've spent so many years testing recipes from famous chefs or even chefs that really nobody knows about yet, um, but who want, would like to run recipes in Food and Wine magazine. And basically it's been my job for so long to kind of look at the recipes and streamline them, maybe reduce the number of ingredients simplify the technique so that it's something that is really approachable. And then I basically kind of redo the recipe, still keeping in mind um, the chef's vision and um, just make it so much easier for the home cook. And so when I started writing this book, I thought to myself, well, how can I do something that not only has my point of view, rather than so many of the great chefs that I work with, but that kind of teaches people all of the things that I've learned along the way. And that's kind of what I've done in uh, Just Cook It. It struck me by how many different types of cuisines are in this cookbook, but it's not discombobulated. It all works together. Is this how you cook at home? Yeah, it it really is how I cook at home. And a lot of that is just because over the years I've, I've cooking food from so many different people. I've learned so much about different cuisines. And when I started kind of writing down and kind of figuring out what I wanted to put in the book, I thought, okay, well, what type of cuisine should it be? Should it be American? Should it be Italian? Should it be French, which is what I'm trained in? But then I was, I thought to myself, I should actually really put all the different types of recipes and cuisines that I cook at home. And because I cook very globally, um, that said, I, none, of the, none of the recipes are truly authentic. They're really kind of inspired by a region or um, a type of cuisine or a recipe that I've had at some point, and then I've kind of reinvented it, in, you know, kind of with my own perspective. And I think it, I think it worked out well. <laughs> I do, too. Uh, so I live for nostalgia just like you, and I'm dying to hear about Grandma Barbara. Oh, Grandma Barbara, she was my savior, really. I mean, she taught me, she's really the the first person who kind of introduced me to home cooking. And um, part of how she did that was, you know, she'd plop me down on the sofa next to her and she'd say, we're going to watch these shows. And we'd watch Yan Can Cook and we'd watch the two fat ladies, Jacques Pepin, Julia Child. I mean, um, we walked, we watched, and this was, this was before 
food television was really what it is today. I mean, this is back when most of the time when you watched cooking shows, it was on PBS and, and I loved it. I fell in love with it. And I remember as a kid, I used to say, you know, I want to be a chef and, or I want to be at that time. I think I, I probably said cook. Um, and she encouraged me and she would teach me how to make, um, you know, started out simple and she would show me how to make tuna salad and, then she, one of, one of the most advanced things that she kind of taught me as a kid was how to poach eggs. Um, and of course they, I've, my, I think my poached eggs have come a very long way now, but <laughs> compared to the watery mess they were when I was a kid, but, um, you know, she just taught me so much and, and it, I, what I think is so amazing when I look back is how much she taught me that she doesn't realize because, you know, we didn't grow up with a lot of money and we didn't have a lot of resources. We didn't have a lot of fancy kitchen equipment. And, but still, every day she made just incredible meals that were so inspiring. And um, so throughout the book, I've taken um, some of the things that I learned from her and I've kind of made them a little more modern, maybe changed a few ingredients here and there, um, but really kind of tried to achieve what I remember having as a kid. And I mean, a couple examples of that are um, my bacon and egg ramen because growing up she used to take little packaged ramen noodles and she'd put them in the microwave with an egg and some scallions and maybe a little chicken broth and it ended up becoming something that was totally different than what you think of when you think of packaged ramen and so I tried to recreate that um, in my book and I think I did pretty well I think she'd be happy with it. (laughs) In the cookbook you wrote Don't tell anyone, but I might have been a little bit dorky as a kid, not that I've changed much. I was freckly and quirky with all sorts of big, bizarre dreams. I would read cookbooks and food magazines, watch Two Fat Ladies and Yen Can Cook, and fantasize about becoming a chef. What advice would adult chef Justin tell young quirky Justin? (laughs) I would say... um... Actually, it's, that's a really good question. I'm glad you asked because, um, you know, I recently was able to speak to um, this high school culinary program, um, and they had asked me to come. It was actually my high school, which has, since I left, they developed this incredible culinary program for high school students, and they asked me to come back and speak to the kids, and I did. And one of the things I told them was, don't let anyone tell you that going to trade school or vocational school is a bad thing. Um, because when I was growing up, um, you know, you are strongly encouraged to, you know, go off to a four-year university. And so I went off to school and yet all I really wanted to do was cook. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I, I, in our industry, we call ourselves career changers because I had kind of established myself as an adult before I decided to go to culinary school. And then one day I said, you know what, I've always wanted to cook. I still want to cook. I'm going to cook. So I went to culinary school and then I, that's, that was almost 10 years ago. So I've talked to quite a few cookbook authors who were unfulfilled by working in a professional kitchen because the personal link to the customer was missing. Talk about your connection between the food and the people you make food for. Well, that's, that's exactly right. So when I worked in restaurants, I, you know, you cook all day and, um, but I was in fine dining. And so you're really kind of kept in the back, you're kept in the kitchen. So you don't really get to kind of see reactions you don't get to see if people are enjoying it. You don't get to hear the feedback of whether or not they want something different. Um, but since I've been at Food and Wine and I've been creating recipes for the masses, for lack of a better way of describing it, um, especially nowadays with social media, I mean, I get 
so much feedback. I hear what people want. I hear the types of food that people want to eat and the types of food that people would like to prepare at home. Uh, and I change what I do based on that. And it's kind of what I love about what I do now is that I get to interact with the people who are actually either cooking my food or the people that I'm cooking for. When I developed the list of recipes that I was going to put in the book, I really kind of considered all the things that I've heard over the years, all the favorite dishes that people like to make at home, all of the types of food that they'd like to learn more about. And which is why um, if you go through the pages of Just Cook, Just Cook It, you'll see a lot of vegetable recipes because um, more recently, like people are just obsessed with vegetables and they're obsessed with side dishes. And that's one of the, so that's one of the things I really focused on when I wrote this book was providing, you know, all the different types of vegetables. Um, and, you know, some of them are more um, involved than others, but for the most part, they're all super, super easy, really approachable, and they teach you to new, they teach you to use ingredients in fun new ways. You have a must-have equipment section in the cookbook, and one of your must-haves is a cast iron pan. As a New York City apartment dweller, I wish I could grill. How do you grill indoors? <laughs> I actually, I, I, it's really hard because I also live in New York City and I have a small apartment, so it's really hard to kind of grill indoors. Um, but I like to use a, a grill pan. And if you just, um, rather than getting it as hot as possible, if you just kind of reduce the temperature just a little bit, you are better off with, you know, the, the fear of setting off your smoke alarm. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you say hacks are one thing and shortcuts are another. What's the difference? You know, it's, I get asked that question a lot because I do have um, the video series with Food & Wine, which is called Mad Genius Tips, and it's, it's all about food hacks. It's all about finding really bizarre ways of um, creating a shortcut. So a short, technically, a hack is a shortcut, um, but nowadays, the term hack has really become a term for a shortcut when the shortcut is really outrageous, um, whereas a shortcut is just a smart, oftentimes professional way of making something easier. And so throughout my book, there, you will find a few hacks here and there, um, but for the most part, I wanted to include just a ton of shortcuts so that people wouldn't be intimidated, so people weren't afraid to get in the kitchen, so that you can make all the things that you perhaps thought you never could make. And, I mean, just for an example, I have my new school bouffe bourguignon, which is really inspired by a classic bouffe bourguignon, which, if you're not um, aware of what it is, it's a, it's a beef stew made with red wine, <clears throat> probably made famous by Julia Child. Um, but, you know, in order to make it at home, you'd normally dry all your meat and then you cook it in three or four batches in, the, in your big pot. And then you have to brown all your vegetables separately. And then you have to braise your meat separately. And then at the end, you put it all together. Um, but really, I've kind of streamlined the process by first, rather than cooking the meat in so many different batches, I um, dry it all and I spread it on a baking sheet. And then I broil it so that you brown it all at once. And then I put that into the pan, into the pot with the red wine and your aromatics, and then you braise the meat that way. Um, and then, of course, rather than browning all your vegetables in different skillets, I kind of add them all in. And it's definitely a shortcut, and the recipe is definitely still delicious. And I, I really think it's kind of reinventing how a very classic French dish has been, can be made at home. 
Another shortcut that caught my eye on Just Cook It is preserved lemons that can be made in 10 minutes on the stove. Describe that. I haven't yet been asked about that recipe, so I'm so glad that you did because it's really a brilliant kind of cheater version of preserved lemons. And preserved lemons are lemons that have been salted and basically cured for upwards of a month. And they have an incredible, incredible deep um, very floral flavor, and you don't actually use the, 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 the fruit, the flesh of the fruit. Um, some people do. They like to spread it on toast, or they like to kind of stir it into stews. But for the most part, when we talk about using preserved lemon, we talk about using just the rind, because the rind gets really soft once it's been cured. And it, it mellows out, and you can actually just eat it. But it's still intense, but it's used as a condiment. So you can put it um, into vinaigrettes. You can put it into aiolis. You can put it into a stew or into a, bra- a chicken braise or something like that. Um, and you can buy them in the store. That's definitely something that you can find um, pretty much at most stores nowadays. But I developed this trick for doing it at home. It's a, it's a shortcut that I think is really phenomenal. So when you want to use preserved lemons in a pinch, and really what you do is you kind of scrub the lemons and cut them into wedges, and then you cook them in a saucepan with just water and salt. And what it does is it softens the rind, much like the, the, the month-long curing process would, and with the amount of salt that I use, which I, I think I use like three or four tablespoons in the recipe, it gives it that kind of flavor that you would get from the salt curing process. And it's so, in my opinion, it's such a smart shortcut for something that could take upwards of a month that, I mean, now you can do it at home in really 10 minutes. And the best part is once you make them, because they're technically salted still, they can be in the refrigerator for like six months. You can do a double or a triple batch, cook them in 10 minutes, put them into a jar or a, or a container, like a plastic container with the lid, and put it in the back of the refrigerator, and they'll be there for six months. And every time you need a little, you just take it out and you chop it up, and it's, it's ready to go. One thing I hate to do is cut up cucumber. I can never make perfectly diced cukes. So thank you for telling us to smash our cucumber. Talk about that. <laughs> that is probably one of my favorite techniques in the whole entire book because throughout the book, um, you, you'll find little things like that, like little ideas that, that don't require more effort. They actually oftentimes require less effort, but huge reward. And that's what smashing the cucumbers is for me because what I do is I basically put the cucumbers onto a cutting board. And I like to use Persian cucumbers because I feel like they're, I love their really, really crisp texture and the fact that they have very little seeds and you can find them pretty much everywhere now. They're, they're the perfect snackable cucumber. And I basically put it on flat on a work surface and then I put my knife flat on top of that with the blade facing away from me. And then I just use my palm and I just smash them and then I tear them into pieces. And what's so great about that is because they, the crushed cucumber has all these nooks and crannies now, it absorbs the dressing so much better than if you just sliced them or chopped them. And so it makes it more smart. fun to eat. <laughs> it's, that's, that's totally a game changer. It's 100% a game changer. And the salad that goes with it in, in my book, Just Cook It, is so simple. It's kind of an Asian-inspired um, salad with just a couple ingredients and then some herbs, which are optional. And I just think it's like the perfect 
It's the perfect recipe for now. So the other evening, I made your recipe for shumai stew on page 100 and your peel and eat shrimp on page 191. Now, that stew... Thank you. <laughs> the stew was so different and delicious. How did that recipe come about? So that recipe came about because I, I have a, I'm a little bit of an addict when it comes to buying kind of frozen dumplings and frozen raviolis and stuff like that from the store because... You know, living in New York City, you know, I work till six and oftentimes the only time I have people over will be on a weeknight. And um, so I tend to like shortcuts like prepared raviolis and prepared um, pot stickers or prepared, in this case, shumai. And I had bought some shumai from a corner store here in New York. We call them bodegas. (laughs) Yes. Um, Because (laughs) I was just craving some little dumplings and um. I don't, I think I remember the ones that I bought, they weren't that great. And, you know, I ate them, but I had some leftover in the fridge and I said to myself, like, how can I use these up? And so I made a stew out of them. And I, it was like such a weird, like kind of like happy accident because what I really did was I just kind of sauteed a little aromatics like ginger and shallots and garlic, threw in some chicken broth added the shumai, added some greens, and it became this really hearty kind of Asian-inspired dumpling stew that now I make it all the time. Oh, my God. And I've never seen anything like it. I think that it could be this, too, in my opinion, is a game changer because it it really shows you a new way of using something. I mean, you go to the supermarket. They always have that section of, like, Frozen, frozen pot stickers and frozen dumplings, and they even have oftentimes the frozen like udon noodles um, in the same area. And those ingredients, believe it or not, you don't have to use them in a traditional way. You can, you can reinvent the way you cook at home very easily, and that's like kind of what I really wanted to show in this book was how, with just a couple smart ideas, you can change the way you cook forever. And this is a, and that's why I like to say this is, this shumai stew is a game changer as well is because it teaches you something simple, like putting those frozen dumplings into a soup. It, it's something that you'll walk away from the book with and you'll do it. Like you might not follow the recipe next time, you know, you might do something else. You might say, okay, well, I don't have mustard greens or I don't have shiitake mushrooms on hand. So what can I do? And maybe you take those shumai dumplings, and you, you do an eight, I'm sorry, an Italian-inspired soup with, like, tomato and basil and with your dumplings in there because they're, 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 you're using them as a condiment. You're using them as an ingredient as opposed to making them the focal point. You know what I mean? So here's my problem with the Trader Joe's frozen shumai is that when I steam them, they get crunchy around the edges. And so I decided never to buy those again, but I use them for the shumai stew. And in the stew, the shumai stays moist. It doesn't get that weird crunch on the edges. Right. And that's, and that's true for a lot of frozen ingredients because they get a little frostbitten and then they start to dry out. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, this is because they're in the stew, they're going to absorb all that delicious broth and just get really nice and tender and, and juicy. With the peel-and-eat shrimp, I never knew that if you cooked them in the shell, they stayed uh, juicy and tender. And the green chili butter on the shrimp was so luxurious. (laughs) That is um, one of my – so that green 
um, chili butter, which I, I eat, sometimes I use jalapenos, other times I use serranos. It's such a smart secret weapon. It really is because what I do is sometimes when I make that recipe, so for those of you listening, basically my peel and eat shrimp is, has two really, really smart um, tips to it. The first one is to cook your shrimps in the shell because they stay really moist and tender and they, you don't overcook them. Um, and what I like to do is take little scissors and I just cut down the back, which not only allows you to remove the vein, but it kind of um, exposes the meat so that you can spread it with this um, chili butter. So that's the first tip. The second tip in this recipe, which is a secret weapon in my opinion, is making this green chili butter. So you just you just mash butter with um, chilies. I Like I said, I use jalapenos or I use serranos, some chives, some lemon zest, and just salt and pepper. That's it. You just blend it in a bowl with a fork, and then you spread it on the meat under the shell of the shrimp, and then you chill the shrimp, and then when you roast them in the oven, they get perfectly cooked, and the chili butter is just just the little kick that you want because um, it doesn't overwhelm the shrimp, and but it but it makes them even more juicy and more tender. Um, but the reason I say that green chili butter is a secret weapon is because sometimes I make a double or quadruple batch, and then I use some for the shrimp, and then I save the other for anything I want. Sometimes I toss it just on boiled noodles. Sometimes I just put it, a little pad of it on top of a grilled steak. Sometimes I um, spread it on top of a grilled or roasted piece of boneless, skinless chicken breast, and it just it just adds this like little bit of um, umph that you're looking for, for something that's really simple um, at home. And I used jalapenos and I was a little worried because I was feeding my 11 year old and I'm like, just eat this shrimp. And I was like standing back <laughs> watching him, but it, it doesn't absorb the heat. It just um, had the flavor of the jalapeno. Right. Right. And that's because when you, to make the butter, you, you first seed the chilies. So you seed them and then you mince them. And so because you're removing the seeds and the ribs, that's where all the heat is in the chili. And so you're really just using the um, pepper itself. And the pepper, sometimes they could be hot, but I have a really smart trick for knowing whether or not a chili is going to be really spicy. So we all have been there where a recipe calls for one or two um, peppers and you can choose. Um, and you never know how much to use because you're not sure how hot they are unless you taste one. But I actually learned this trick from my friend Melissa Clark, who works for the New York Times. And she said, what you do is you cut the jalapeno or the chili in half, and then you smell it. And if it smells like a bell pepper, then it's sweeter. But if it smells really spicy, then you know it's going to be a really hot chili, and you, can, you should maybe start with less before you add more. And I thought she taught me that, and I was like, why have I not? ever known that. It's right. such a brilliant trick. Well, thank you, Melissa Clark. Yes. <laughs> so smart. And so now I do this. I wish I had known that right before I did the book because I would have I put it on every recipe that has <laughs> a hot pepper in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where can we find you on the web and social media? Well, you can find me all over social media and on the web at Justin Chapel, just my full name. Um, my last name spelled C-H-A-P-P-L-E. And I really do hope that um, people reach out because I'm, I'm really responsive on social media and on the Internet. And just because I love, I love talking with the people that are making my recipes and eating my food. So it's one of my, it's one of the, the, my biggest pleasures in life. 
Well, I will echo what Valerie Bertinelli said. This is for all of us home cooks who want to up our game in the kitchen. Thanks, Justin, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please take a moment to rate and review Cookery by the Book. You can also follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, music to cook by on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. Thanks for listening.